Turn to 1 Kings chapter 8, beginning in verse 54. We've finished Solomon's prayer of dedication of the temple, and it is beautiful, long prayer. We're not going to reread it now, but as we've come to the end of it, Solomon begins to bless the people of God that have gathered there for the dedication of the temple. Now, how many of you like blessings? Like blessings? I like blessings personally. You like blessings? Yeah. When do we want blessings? Is there a time when we don't want blessings? That's maybe an easier question. There's just pretty much all the time we want blessings, right? I mean, but there are certain times that seem particularly good and helpful to receive a blessing. Now, at the end of every service, I'll give a benediction. And a benediction is basically a a blessing at the conclusion of the service, right? A good word, a a word of, of blessing, a scripture promise, a reminder of, and a, and, a, and a call for God to be faithful to his promises to us. And that's basically what Solomon does here. He gets to the end of his prayer and he stands up and he blesses the people. When else do we have blessings, though, that, that are a regular part of not just a, a random kind of spoken blessing, but where in Scripture, where in normal life would we have blessings? Where someone would give a blessing? Any, any ideas pop into mind? Can you think of other times? Yeah, you can think, go ahead. At a wedding, yes, absolutely. Weddings are one of those places where there will be blessings. When else? We'll see if we can see a theme here. When else would there be blessings? Before a meal. Maybe before bed. Sometimes when I'm putting one of my children to bed, I'll put my hand on their head and say, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Now, you want peace when you're going to sleep, don't you? You don't want to be anxious, worried, frustrated, angry, When else in Scripture are blessings given? Yeah. On deathbeds. Yeah. So, you you think about this, it might be a little bit hard to put together. What is the the common theme of blessings? And it's, if you think about it, it, it might become clearer, but really it's pretty simple. It's at the 
starts of things and at the ends of things. When, when there are beginnings and when there are endings, those are times for us to remember. Those are times for us to look to God. Those are times for us to explicitly call upon God to pour out his favor, to pass along his truths. Somebody gave me water. Thank you. I kicked it over. So at the end of a service, we're about to, it's the end of the service, right? But is that, it's really, it's the start of the week, isn't it? It's the start of the week and it's, you have, you have received what you need. You've received God's truth. You've received his word. You have been fed. You've been strengthened. Now go out. Go out and live according to his word. Go out and live according to his promises. You can have confidence in them. And this is what this is what Solomon does. It's the end of a long prayer, but it's really the start of a new era, and he gives his blessing to the people of God. So let's read how God, I mean, how Solomon calls for God's blessing on his people here in 1 Kings as he finishes his prayer. Please stand for the reading of God's word, 1 Kings 8, 54 through 61. When Solomon had finished praying this entire prayer and supplication to the Lord, he arose from before the altar of the Lord, from kneeling on his knees with his hands spread toward heaven. And he stood and blessed all the assembly of Israel with a loud voice saying, Blessed be the Lord who has given rest to his people Israel according to all that he promised. Not one word has failed of all his good promise which he promised through Moses his servant. May the Lord our God be with us as he was with our fathers. May he not leave us or forsake us, that he may incline our hearts to himself to walk in all his ways and to keep his commandments and his statutes and his ordinances which he commanded our fathers. And may these words of mine, with which I have made supplication before the Lord, be near to the Lord our God day and night, that he may maintain the cause of his servant and the cause of his people Israel, as each day requires, so that all the peoples of the earth may know that the Lord is God. There is no one else. Let your heart, therefore, be wholly devoted to the Lord our God, to walk in his statutes and to keep his commandments as at this day. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated.
I don't know if it stood out to you guys, but it stood out to me right at the beginning. Kids, this, we've, we've read this long prayer. We've studied it for many weeks now. And we get to the very end and we find out what Solomon was doing while he was praying. Did you, get, did you kids notice? What was Solomon doing while he was praying? Uh-oh. Did any of you kids notice? What? Yeah. Did you notice what Solomon was doing while he was praying? What? He was kneeling and he had his hands in the air. Now this is pretty different from how we tend to uh, think about Solomon, right? I mean, if you've ever thought of Solomon, whenever you think of Solomon, you know that he's clothed gloriously because even the New Testament talks about that, right? Solomon in all his splendor. But when do you... When do you think of Solomon and think of him on his knees? Great king on his knees. That's a little bit weird, isn't it? Great king on his knees with his hands up in the air. Why do we have prayer on our knees in our services. It's because the Bible is full of this sort of thing, of examples of us putting our bodies into the same position of humility that people have for generations, for centuries, for thousands of years, humbled themselves by placing their bodies into a position of humility. Now, some people come from a religious background that is very physical. Lots of clapping, lots of hand raising, lots of moving, right? And some people are Presbyterians. Personally, I'm more of a Presbyterian. Listen, we have bodies. Our bodies are to be used in worship. Solomon is going similarly to his uh, father, David, by being physical using his body for worship as well as his soul. We cannot separate our bodies and our souls, the spiritual from the physical. And so here we've sat through a number of sermons on Solomon and his prayer of dedication. And we get to the end and we realize, oh, that was a long prayer for him to be kneeling with his hands in the air. You guys ever put your hands in the air and waited for somebody to call on you? At school, you're like, let's 
help it out with his hand, right? Or get sick of that, waiting? Because it's, like, it's, it's actually, it takes, got got to do some exercises, keep those arms up, don't you? Well, let us learn from Solomon in the simple humility of using his body and his soul to worship the Lord. Now, when he stands at the end of his prayer, from kneeling, and I love how I love how repetitive scripture is at times, from kneeling on his knees, in case it wasn't clear, right? From kneeling on his knees, what does he rise to do? He rises to bless Israel. How does, how does Solomon bless Israel? To bless Israel is to point them to God's mercy and kindness. That's how he starts. He stood and blessed all the assembly of Israel with a loud voice, saying, this is how he blesses Israel. Ready? Blessed be the Lord. This is the start of his blessing. Receive God's blessing. Blessed be the Lord. Now, does that seem a little bit backwards? It's not. God comes first, doesn't he? It's not backwards. It's, it's precisely, correctly ordered. Blessed be the Lord. Verse 56, who has given rest to his people Israel. Blessed be the Lord, here here is what he has done. He's given rest to his people Israel according to all that he promised, which is going to be the theme of this blessing, that God keeps and fulfills his promises. Not one word has failed of all his good promise, which he promised through Moses, his servant. In other words, receive God's blessing. You can rely on God. Blessed be God, he keeps his promises. He keeps his word. To bless Israel, to bless the church, is to say, you have God. Not you are God, you have God. And that's the theme of his prayer that we've been through. The the theme of his prayer is, God is present among us. Here we are at his temple. His presence has filled it, the cloud. And what? Well, we have God. That is the central point of his blessing. We have God. 
And then to continue that blessing, he, he then says, he calls for God to be with them. Now, you begin to get a feel for what it means to be blessed as, the, as this blessing goes on. Starts, blessed be God. Then, God is with us, right? And then, may God be with us. What would it be like for you to get the blessing that you wanted? What would it be like for you to get the blessing that you wanted? I mean, it's a fair question, isn't it? The blessing that you want, is it what Solomon offers as blessing to God's people? Or do what, is what you want for a blessing totally different? There's a lot of ways of thinking about this and, and recognizing how easily we are turned aside from true and proper blessing to seeking after the things of this earth, okay? But I want to I take it into uh, a place that feels very spiritual. Think of sermons, okay? I, I have to write a sermon every week, and, uh, and then I have to preach it. And so it's part of my work, right? But all of you think about it as something spiritual. I mean, you go to church for it, right? Now, I know a man who was instructed on how to preach in terms of preparing said, make sure that it is a good lecture. A lecture, not a sermon, right? Make sure that it is a good lecture. That way, if the Holy Spirit doesn't show up, at least the people will have gotten something out of it. Okay. Think about that. If God doesn't show up for a sermon, have you gotten something out of it? Think about it. Are you willing? Is that, an, is that acceptable? Is it acceptable for me to give a good lecture purely informing, purely imparting of, of knowledge Right? I could give all kinds of historical information. You could learn tons. Would that be acceptable? It could, we could still call it a sermon. You could still feel spiritual because you're still showing up to church. It's no good. 
If God is not present, what benefit is there to us? If God isn't part of a worship service to God, what is the point? There's no benefit at that point, you guys. So if it's possible for us to take a sermon, you know, the holy thing, the center part of church, it happens once a week, it's the holy gathering of God's holy people. And if it's possible for for pastors to say, well, we don't know whether God's going to be there or not, so let's just make it informational at least. Wait a minute. Has God spoken and said, wherever two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am in their midst, or not? God has spoken. Will he keep his promises or not? Are you blessed if you receive a good lecture Sunday morning? That's what I'm getting at. In the end, you're not blessed if you just get a good lecture. In the end, every part of our lives has to be dealt with understanding that true blessing means having God. And that even includes the things that feel and sound and look spiritual, like a sermon. If it's possible for us to corrupt that, it's certainly possible for us to corrupt any other thing that we think of as good. To replace having God present among us and to have it be something else that we're going after. Now, in this passage we're dealing with Solomon and Solomon understands and sees and we've seen it all through his prayer that came before this that the people have to be looking to God that's why he constantly says if they turn if they pray if they if they face towards this temple where God is right where he'd placed his presence among his people. Then hear in heaven and answer. So they'll have you. Over and over and over again in his prayer, this is, this is what he wants. He wants God to hear his people and to answer their prayers that they might have him. They might have his promises. We know that Solomon was ruling in a time where there was peace, right? Not just peace, but power over their enemies. Not peace that was bought by having to give away gold, but peace that brought gold. 
the wealth of the nations was flowing into Israel. The temple was magnificent, richly adorned. Silver wasn't worth much because there was too much gold around. In Jerusalem, it was a wealthy, wealthy time. A wealthy city. Now, is, is that a blessing? It's not a trick question. Don't worry. Is it a blessing? Yeah? Yeah, it is. It's a blessing, isn't it? It's a physical, obvious indication of God pouring out his blessing on his people, his nation Israel, isn't it? It's a blessing. And God pours out blessings all over this earth. As a matter of fact, he even pours out rain on the just and on the unjust alike. His blessings are everywhere. And yet, are you content to be rich? Is that enough for you? Or would you rather have God? What blessing do you want? Solomon could have stood up at the end of his prayer and said, and now, may you go from power to greater power, from glory to greater glory, from gold to platinum. May you have everything that you've ever wanted and more. Go in money. Is that what you want? Go in money? Is that the blessing that you want? An awful lot of us, yeah. You know, if I could just have money, then I would trust in God. If I could just have money, then I'd believe in God. Solomon understands the temptation. And yet, sadly, even Solomon begins to seek after the earthly later in his life rather than the blessing that here he gives to his people, that they would have God. He begins to say, well, you know, Maybe I can have God while I'm seeking something else. Or, I've already got God. Now I will seek something else. I've got God. Now let's see if I can get women. I've got God. Got him in my back pocket, so that's all taken care of. Now I just need to have some peace. I'm going to make my wife happy. We'll put up a little uh, 
just a just a little idle over here. Peace in your home is a good thing, right? Peace among family? Peace between husband and wife? It's hard work, right? Maybe we could just sacrifice a little bit of having God. Have a little bit more blessing. What is it that you want? What is the blessing that you want? That's really what you have to answer for yourself. I can't answer it for you. I know what, I know what the many, many possibilities are. Money is certainly a common one, right? The blessing that we want. Sometimes it is that we would be able to have our children near us forever. Sometimes the blessing that we want, and, and listen, remember, many of these things are truly blessings. God gave them a land flowing with milk and honey. That was a blessing. They were rich. It was a blessing. I want to read Proverbs 30, verses 8 and 9. Keep deception and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Is that what we would say when somebody's offering us a blessing? All right. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is my portion. In other words, again, not too much, not too little. That I not be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? Or that I not be in want and steal and profane the name of my God. Here, Proverbs 30, verses 8 and 9, we just have this little reminder. Hey, You might be better off not having a lot nor a little if it will allow you to stay focused on God. Now sometimes we are given very little and sometimes we are given a lot. Most of us in this room have been given a whole lot. Certainly the temptation doesn't go away there for to, to steal, right? You could have everything in the world and still want more, still want it enough to steal, right? Think of King Ahab in Naboth's vineyard. He was king. That wasn't enough for him. He needed that, that thing, and so he stole it. And he murdered in order to steal it. Yeah, that doesn't mean that the temptation to steal goes away completely, but listen. The greater temptation, when we've been given a lot, as we see in Proverbs, is that we be full and deny God and say, 
Who is the Lord? That's what the temptation is when we don't feel like we need him. I've got everything I could possibly want in this life. Got a great job, got my health, family, kids. I've got everything. And say to yourself, soul, you have done very well for yourself. Now, let's rest and enjoy our retirement. Guys, remember that in the New Testament, the guy who built his barns? I have got it made. And what's God's response to that? The man who is self-satisfied and thinking that he is the one who has given himself all of those blessings. Look at all of the blessings I've gotten for myself. What does God say? You fool. This very day, your life is required of you. What do you want for blessing? What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and to forfeit his soul? To have everything you could possibly imagine or dream but not have God is to forfeit your soul. And what does it profit a man? Nothing. Less than nothing. Is it foolish? You bet it's foolish. Is there anything more foolish than turning after God's gifts before God? Seeking the good things that he has to offer rather than him, the one who offers them. How absurd. And it doesn't make any sense in the first place. He's the one keeping the universe together. What are you going to do? Rely on him for that, but nothing else? I'll take it from here, God. You keep it all together, and I'll keep my wealth. What happens to gold and rich clothes, moth and rust destroy, thieves break in and steal? Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Solomon says, May the Lord our God be with us as he was with our fathers. May he not leave us or forsake us, that he may incline our hearts to himself. Now this is, do we want God with us? We really only want God with us if he has inclined our hearts towards him. If your heart is inclined to serving money, if it's inclined towards other things, the blessings of this life. Then it is not inclined towards him because that is that dichotomy, 
right? You cannot serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and be devoted to the other, or you will love the one and despise the other. I flipped those around. If it sounds weird to you, that's why. You, you can't do it. You can't be serving both God and money. And it's the same with any other thing that you might serve. But listen, we're wealthy. We've been given a lot. So do we have the temptation of making it all about money? Yes. We sure do. We need our hearts inclined towards him. And not and I want you to see the consequence of this. To have your heart be inclined towards God does not mean that somehow then you're focused on his blessings that he might pour out on you. Like it's not some sort of like sort of reverse psychology trick. Oh no, I need to focus on God so that I can get the blessing. Right? I'll just I'll just do the this little switcheroo. I know what I'm really after, but I'll pretend to be after God and or I'll be after God, but now what does it look like to have your heart inclined towards God? What does your concern become? Solomon goes on to walk in all his ways. That's what it looks like to have your heart inclined towards God. You walk in his ways. You love God. When your heart is inclined towards God, you're like, oh, look, this is what God said. I'm going to do it. Oh, here's his command. I love it. I'm going to keep it. I enjoy doing what he's said. What are his ordinances? I want to study him. He's my God. If I have him, I have everything. That he may incline our hearts to himself, to walk in all his ways, to keep his commandments, his statutes, his ordinances, and not new ones, which he commanded our fathers. Now, right here, I want you to recognize. It's at this point. You may think, okay, wait a minute. Law? I mean, it's not exactly inspiring, Pastor. Okay. Law? Commandments, ordinances. These don't exactly sound like good things. Hasn't the law been done away with? Paul even says, law comes in and sin increases. Right? Yeah. Here it goes. Here's what God said. I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. You shall have no other gods before me. It's a law. 
a command. It's a requirement. And right there, your heart goes, oh, uh, uh, I'd rather. I don't know about this, right? And then there's another law, another commandment. You shall not make for yourself a graven image of anything that is in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing children for the sins of their fathers to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. Okay. I'll do, I'll do without images. I'll do without images. And then, and then another command comes, right? And another, and another, and another. And then Jesus comes and he says, no, you guys didn't get it. You shall not kill was just the tip of the iceberg, you guys. It was a stand-in for a giant command. If you hate your neighbor, you've broken that law. You, you have not kept that commandment. If, if, you, if you despise your brother, if you say, you fool. And Jesus intensifies the commands. He, makes us, he, he opens our eyes so that we see far more how deep they are how big the commands are, what they require of us. And in the end, we realize you are to be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. That's what the law is. We are to be holy as he is holy. And we think, I'm not. I hope you realize you're not. You better realize you're not. And so there's two, there's two ways of responding to that. The law comes in, and yeah, sin increases. Our knowledge of sin increases. Our desire to sin increase. Both of those are a part of sin increasing, as Paul is speaking of it, right? Because it wasn't until we were told not to that we really wanted to. Because we're rebels. That's what the, I mean, that's all that means, like, the moment you're told not to do something is when you want to do it. What is that? Like the definition of rebellion, right? Okay, so here he is. He's, he's given us the law, and yeah, our sin increases. And right there, you have to have your heart inclined towards God. And you need him to do it. That's why Solomon says that he may incline our hearts to himself. That he may incline our hearts to himself. To bless Israel is for Solomon to point them to God to point them to his commandments and to call upon God to save his people.
If your heart is inclined towards God, then the commandments are not a burden, but a blessing. Then you begin to love them. But only when your heart has been inclined towards him do you begin to love his law. The people of Israel go forth from here and it's a great day. They're rich, they're powerful, they're full of food. We'll see, we'll see that next week. Lots of food. Good food, meat. And they've got to decide what are their hearts turned towards? What are your hearts turned towards? If you don't care about God's law, your heart is not inclined towards God. It's a test, it's a simple test. And if you find that your heart is not inclined towards God, yes, that ought to scare you. And yes, you ought to pray. Repent of your sin, yes. Pray that God will incline your heart towards him. How often we all go astray. How easily we are distracted and begin to seek after the things of this world. but we have received God's blessing. And that includes his commands. What a blessing they are. Let us turn to him now in prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, hear our prayer. Father, though you have kept every one of your promises Father, it is very difficult for us to even remember what we've said we would do. Father, we are easily distracted by the cares of this world, how quickly we turn to the lusts of the flesh, how often we let our hearts be turned away from you, Forgive us and let our hearts be turned inclined towards you that we may love your law and keep it. Father, do hear our prayers even as you have promised and renew your people. Strengthen us Forgive us. Cause us to fear you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.